I'm Helen MacDonald, Analysis Editor at the BMJ. An analysis article on the BMJ.com this week discusses overdiagnosis in mammography screening programmes, charting 45 years of this issue and discussing how we might move the debate on. I'm joined now by its author, Alexandra Barrett, Professor of Public Health at the University of Sydney. Alexandra, I think it's quite apt, really, that this article forms part um, of the BMJ Overdiagnosis series and comes at a time when, when we're doing this uh, theme issue around overdiagnosis and too much medicine, because this is one of the longest running controversies about overdiagnosis, breast screening and mammography. Um, and perhaps that means that we've got the most to learn from this condition. Can you just fill the listeners in on how long this debate about mammography has been running for? Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? I think breast cancer screening in a way is a bit like the poster child for overdiagnosis because it's kind of like, um, in a way, the zeitgeist, it's the, it's the point at which the debate has really spilled over from professional discussion into the public arena. And that just keeps happening over and over again. We see it coming up in the news, on the television, in newspaper articles. And when I started to look into it, I think most people sort of are aware that overdiagnosis in breast cancer screening it hit the headlines in a big way when uh, Peter Gutcher did his Cochrane review back in 2000. That was actually published in The Lancet because there was so much dispute about the nature of the findings that he put into that review. And although it was mostly about the mortality benefit of breast cancer screening, they did mention the possibility and they discussed overdiagnosis in there. And that's when it really started to get a lot of traction publicly. But actually, when I looked into it, the history of overdiagnosis in breast cancer screening goes back way, way, way before that. And I was mm. very grateful to one of my PhD students who discovered um, a paper written in 1979 by an American doctor called Morris Fox and he published in JAMA and what he did was to look at the incidence of breast cancer reported to the Connecticut Tumor Registry and he observed that between 1935 and 1965 there was a slow increase in breast cancer incidence but between 1965 and 1975 the incidence went up by 50% in those 10 years. And he remarked on the concordance of that with the introduction of breast cancer screening and early detection programs, because of course you had the health insurance plan happening in New York in the 1960s. And so he kind of speculated that maybe this was actually an effect of early detection. So when did that screening program start? That started, that was a randomised trial that started oh, okay. in 1963. Um, and that was, I suppose, based on the technological developments that allowed mammograms to be developed. And because there was really limited ways to deal with breast cancer in those days, like they knew that they couldn't prevent breast cancer and they knew that their treatment options were pretty limited and actually largely ineffective. So there really was a lot of interest in early detection as um, a hope for breast cancer control. But when I looked into it even further, 
um, I discovered that back in 1969, there were two scientists, Feinlieb and Zellin, and they talked about the theoretical basis for screening and what the pitfalls might be in evaluating screening programs. And they made a really nice description in their paper, which is actually published in an environmental disease journal, about lead time bias, so that's finding cancers early, not necessarily living any longer, but just bringing forward the time of diagnosis so that you have more disease time rather than more lifetime. So they identified that bias and they also identified what we now call length time bias. So that's the tendency of screening to pick up slowly progressive disease, uh, preferentially over rapidly progressing disease. So both finally and Zeller Finally, Ben Zellin and Morris Fox were um, right onto the concept that screening might actually pick up benign cancers, which was a, was then and still is a very foreign kind of concept. And they both talk about the possibility of cancers that might be histologically malignant, but actually biologically benign. So not go on to cause symptoms, not go on to become life-threatening. So that was back in the 60s and 70s, these trials of breast screening going on and perhaps some theoretical cautions emerging um, that, that we should be careful that we, we don't go too far. Um, tell us then in, in um, clinical life when these screening programmes got introduced um, and then perhaps move us on to say what's happened to breast cancer diagnosis since then. Well, a very um, important milestone in all of this was the publication in 1968 uh, by the World Health Organization of the principles and practice of screening by Wilson, Wilson and Jungner. And they recognized that it was really important to have randomized trials of screening before going ahead with screening program implementation. And breast cancer was really exemplary in this and around the world randomized trials were set up. So in Europe, in America and later on in England and in Canada. And the results of those trials started to come in in the 70s and 80s. And the first couple of trials to publish, which was the health insurance plan in New York and the two-county study in Sweden, found what looked like really large reductions in the risk of death from breast cancer amongst women who were screened. So this was picked up and reported um, by the Forest Report in 1986 in the UK and was really taken up around the world as a strong basis in evidence for why we should be doing breast cancer screening. And after that, publicly funded programs were really set up in many Western countries, so in the UK, in Australia, in Canada, in America it had already been been started, just accelerated, and subsequently in many European countries. So by the early to mid-1990s, we had screening programs running in most um, Western countries around the world. And then what was happening to our rates of breast cancer diagnosis through screening or, or just general clinical pickup? Well, I was really, really surprised by this. I didn't go looking for it but one day I was sitting in my office 
working out what I was going to try to teach students in my health screening course. And I started looking at the incidence rates for breast cancer in Australia. And as I went back through the years, it became obvious that there was this really impressive increase in breast cancer incidence in Australia across the 1990s, so from the sort of early 80s to the late 1990s, that appeared to be confined to women of screening age. So I started to plot it and I got this picture that showed this like big bump in breast cancer incidence in women aged 50 to 69 years, but no change in women aged under 40 and over 80 in those same years. And as I investigated further, more and more I discovered that this was a pattern that was happening around the world in countries where they started implementing mammogram screening. You see the same pattern. You see these impressive increases of about 80 to 100% in breast cancer incidence rate over the years that screening programs are rolled out. And what it appears to be is largely increases in early stage breast cancer, so uh, what's called DCIS or pre-invasive breast cancer and early stage breast cancer. Whereas the rates, the incidence rates of advanced breast cancer seem not to have changed. And that's a pretty concerning finding because if a screening program works, ideally what you would expect to see is an increase in the detection of early stage disease, but sizable drops in the rates of late stage disease, of advanced disease. And generally speaking, we haven't seen that pattern when breast cancer screening has been introduced. And that's where this debate about overdiagnosis in breast cancer screening, that's that's the nub of it. Um, that relationship between um, a lack of change in those invasive cases, but a apparent rise in the number of diagnoses of early breast cancer. So what have we been debating in that sphere? Well, there's two sides of the of the equation, if you like, or of the balance sheet, as David Eddy described it. So on the one hand, you've got the possibility that breast cancer early detection saves lives. And there's lots and lots of debate about whether that's the case or not. And you have people, experts around the world claiming that it does. And we know there have been very significant drops in breast cancer um, death rates around the world. But it's still an open question as to how much of that reduction is due to improvement in treatment and how much of it can be attributed to screening programs. And the other side of the balance sheet is how much harm are we doing in order to get that benefit? And that's where the other side of the debate is. So that focuses mostly on overdiagnosis and how much overdiagnosis there is, what's the amount of that? And that's really why this is so contested because we have different groups of experts around the world who estimate anything from one overdiagnosed case for one breast cancer death prevented through three overdiagnosed cases for one breast cancer death prevented. That was the estimate of the independent UK panel when they uh, looked at it in 2012, out to 10 
overdiagnosed cases for every life saved from breast cancer or even larger numbers. And I think that's really part of the problem is that we have such wildly different estimates. And as you started off at the beginning saying, it's indicative of how much uncertainty there is. So we have uncertainty about what's the size of the benefit, how, how confident are we that this screening program works. And we also have a large amount of uncertainty about how much harm it does through overdiagnosis and overtreatment. And how do we move forward to resolve those uncertainties? Well, I think one of the things that I found very, very frustrating, and I'm sure other people have too, is this constant debate that, as I said, spills over into the public arena. And we just seem to be mired in it. We don't seem to be able to reach a consensus. So we have these wildly differing estimates from one overdiagnosed case for every life saved out to 10 overdiagnosed cases for every life saved. And that makes it really hard to do anything. It makes it really hard to develop information materials for women. It makes it hard to develop policies. It makes it confusing for clinicians. And it just really blocks us from going forward. So if I could wave a magic wand, what I would really love to do is see some authority in the world, um, like the BMJ, for example, or WHO, say enough is enough. You know, we need industrial strength mediators here. We need to resolve this dispute. And if it means locking you all up in a room together until you agree, then maybe we just have to do it. I don't honestly. I don't know what the solution to this is. When I talk to my colleagues like Stacy, who are much more informed than me about ethics and philosophy and sociology and politics, I think the answer comes down to human nature, and we have to somehow find a a social solution to this. As she said, this arises in a social context and we need to find a social solution. How we resolve these differences, I don't know, but I think it's really important that we find a way forward through that. But you do think there have been some lessons that we can certainly learn from the experience of mammography screening um, that that either may help um, clarify some of the issues within within that field and move things forward or might provide lessons for other screening programs um, that are being investigated or developed. T- tell us a bit about those. No, that's fine. So I think one of the things that we've learned is that it's really time to shift. Screening services need to shift from persuasive approaches to trying to promote screening and encourage as many women as possible to come to screening, they need to shift away from that approach towards a more informed approach that gives women clear, objective information about both the benefits and the harms of screening. And while that's happened in the UK, there are many, many screening services around the world where women are not aware of this debate, where overdiagnosis isn't mentioned, where it's not discussed. And I think that really needs to change so that we don't have women feeling like it's some kind of moral obligation to go for screening. Actually, it needs to be presented as a choice. We need to respect women's autonomy and their right to make a choice about this because um, over and over again, you will hear advocates of screening say that the benefits far outweigh the harms. But I think if you look at the evidence, it's really clear that in fact, it's finely balanced. And this really is a perfect opportunity for informed choice and informed decision making.
Another lesson that we've learned is that we have to somehow come to terms with our um, human nature to be seduced by technology. We um, There was a, a wonderful article by Hoffman talking about too much technology and how we have this kind of, we seem to have this innate um, desire to believe that more is better, that more testing is better, more detection is better. But I think we really need to resist that and we need to uh, restrict and restrain implementation of new technologies until we can be sure that they actually improve patient outcomes rather than just increasing the detection rate. And there are some classic examples in breast cancer screening. So, for example, uh, in many countries around the world, there's now been a shift from film mammography to digital mammography. And what we've seen with that is increases in the detection rate. But concerningly, it doesn't seem like there's been a reduction in the interval rate. So what, in fact, that technology may have done is to increase the number of overdiagnosed cancers without picking up any more of the cancers that really matter. And this is about to be played out again very soon with the introduction of tomosynthesis or 3D mammography. So I think we need to be really careful that we restrain the implementation of that until we have much better evidence about whether it's really actually uh, benefiting women to have this new technology. As you say, there's there's also a need, if we're going to inform patients better, to try and and resolve some of the uncertainties about those statistics, about the information that we give people to quantify over diagnosis. I don't know um, whether you've any reflections having listened to Stacey talk about her paper and the different types of too much medicine or overdiagnosing or treating or utilising that come in that you think might might be helpful to feed into the breast cancer screening debate to try and pick out some of those numbers better? I think Stacey's work has highlighted for me the importance of how we define overdiagnosis in breast cancer screening. And at the moment, there are two broad approaches to estimating the amount of overdiagnosis. And one is based around a definition which... um, which defines overdiagnosis as picking up cancers that without screening would never be found because they would never cause symptoms and so without screening they'd never be detected. So that's one definition and there are a whole um, group of studies that use that to estimate overdiagnosis and they come up with quite high estimates. Then there's another definition which is a technical definition in which overdiagnosis is described as cases in which the lead time exceeds the remaining lifetime. And the studies that use that are based on mathematical modelling studies where they model the uh, natural progression of breast cancer. And those studies inevitably involve trying to estimate the distribution of lead time. And that becomes very, very technically difficult. And those studies come with much smaller estimates of overdiagnosis. And I think there are some quite clear mathematical reasons for that. And I think if we could actually get the experts who use these different approaches together and say some of this difference is actually coming from the way in which we define overdiagnosis in breast cancer. And maybe we might be able to move forward from there by agreeing what's the what's really the most appropriate 
definition and therefore what does that mean for the best methods for estimating it. Um, I was very impressed when the Independent UK panel did their work and they reflected on the fact that they were surprised that the community of experts um, around the world had not actually managed to come to an agreement about how best to, what, what methods are best for estimating how much overdiagnosis occurs. And I think that's really critical. We've seen that happen in evidence-based medicine where we have agreement about certain study designs that are going to be providing the most valid evidence. And I think we really need to get some agreement about what study designs and what definitions provide the most valid estimates of overdiagnosis. So maybe the UK uh, independent panel could be um, reconvened to take that work on. Alexandra's article on overdiagnosis in mammography screening is now available with others in the Too Much Medicine theme issue on thebmj.com.